You're listening to Wharton Moneyball on Business Radio. Welcome back to Wharton Moneyball. Two hours of sports analytics live every Wednesday morning, 8 to 10 a.m. Eastern. Cade Massey hosting this morning with the whole crew, Eric, Adi, Shane, faculty colleagues here, longtime Wharton Moneyball collaborators. Last show of the decade, last show of the teens, last show of the year. Last guest of the, of the teens. We're rolling into our second decade, you know, according to the calendar anyway. Sometime next month, just a couple of weeks from now. We're just off the phone with Ken Pomeroy. Guys, one thing we didn't get to, he, he's, he's tweeted recently this great little question. If, if, if two teams in college basketball were tied at halftime and you wanted one statistical observation to best predict who would win the game. One observation from the box score. One bo- well, box Which score-ish. Kind? I don't think it's quite box score. I think that was a... a, a, a yeah. So one statistical observation to best predict the winner of the game. What would it be? And we, we you know, given the audience a chance to come up with their answer because we didn't quite we didn't come up with his answer. So Adi gave a very clever answer. Adi's answer was who's at who's at home, which is very uh, very yeah. accessible from the box score. It's, it's, yeah. it's the most accessible thing. You just like what time zone are they or whatever. It's like that's a, it's wonderfully parsimonious. It's low cost and also as Adi argued later, it's. Ubiquitously relevant. It's yeah. like no matter what the situation, it's going to be relevant. In fact, it's going to be kind of equally relevant everywhere. So it's really, I think, a really good answer and a clever one. It's also typical Audi. Audi always gives base rates, and that's what we want people to do. Like start with base rates because I don't know anything. Yeah, I, if, you, <laughs> if you didn't know anything else, no. But this is the this yeah, is this great is a theme. Yeah. If you didn't know it, sometimes a little knowledge gets you in trouble, right? A little knowledge is a dangerous yep. thing. So if you didn't know anything, what would you answer? Audi gives the right answer. It's it's, it's home field. But Ken's answer is. Who's shooting below their season average for three-point? Who's below their historical or expected no. three-point percentage? And why is that? So, Adi, give us, give us his, his rationale. The, the rationale is regression to the mean. So the, the fact that they have un, the, the game is tied because one team is better and has underperformed, and you can guess at that. Mm-hmm. But I would guess that his statistic is more valuable later in the season than earlier in the season. Absolutely. Because you have, you have information. Well, yeah, yeah. You, you know that base rate better. Yeah. And, but, but my other point is, is that sometimes that's, that, that there isn't a team that under, is underperforming, and now you're stuck with no information. You don't have any and information. And now. home team always works. But, <laughs> but don't get too excited about yours because you want to you want to preach the gospel of regression to the mean I as do. well. This I is do, really, yeah. really important. Yeah. And if you have, I mean, it's probably the most outside of a strong base rate like home court is probably the most parsimonious statistic you could yeah. use for any prediction of the future. But you, you, you would, you would uh, divide it up and say, why 3-point percentage? Why not 2 yeah, percentage? Right. Yeah, percentage. Right. Why, why not free throw? throw? Why not free yeah, throw? Right. Well, that's why my guess, which turned out to be patently false, was why don't you just measure the total number of shots a team takes because at the end of the day, I'd rather have double the number. I guarantee right. you if at the end of the game I take twice as many shots as your team, I have a 99% chance it, to win the it, game. It, but what is it? It means, right, 100%, and that's also a base rate answer of sorts. And if a team that is shooting more, they're, they're either getting more offensive rebounds or they're getting turnovers, or the exactly. turnover ratio is in their favor. And both of those things are really Though important. If two teams are tied at halftime and one of the teams has shot dramatically more, doesn't that mean their shooting accuracy is proportionally dramatically less? <laughs> well, that Which matter of fact, help that's going to help me. That's yeah. going to help my prediction oh, yeah, be even better. Right. It goes in the same direction. Uh, there maybe, you go. I don't, maybe Ken didn't there consider you it. Maybe you weren't patently false here. Yeah. Maybe you're spot on. All right. 
Well, listen, we have another guest we're also excited to have come on here, longtime friend of the show, Brian Burke, is going to join us. Brian writes for ESPN in a former life. He was a Navy pilot. He was an engineer. But in the this segment of his life, he is one of the pioneers in modern football analytics. Good morning, Brian. Good morning, guys. You calling from Northern Virginia? Reston, Virginia, yeah. All right, all right. Glad to have you. Man, you're making waves in the world of football analytics. And because analytics is so important these days, you're making waves in the world of football. How does it feel to be out there on the frontier, Brian? Yeah, it's, um, it's kind of weird. Uh, honestly... Uh, you're right. We're, we are making waves, and we're we're becoming a big deal. And uh, <laughs> Brian, you've been a big deal to us for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'm not patting myself on the back. It's that uh, when I, you know, when we announce something, uh, we've got a new feature capability or something. Um, some people get upset that uh, we, you know, we didn't. Um, you know, go through certain channels or, or uh, you know, announce it in the right way. So we're kind of outgrowing our little niche, <laughs> and uh, it, that you have to, you pay a price when you do that. Well, let's talk about that. So it was it yesterday that you made the announcement? Sometime very recently you announced that you've got kind of real-time route recognition. So you can, you can like, after, as soon as a play is run, you can say this was the route combination that the team ran. And that's yeah, so a we, real yeah. accomplishment. Well, it, it, it's um, yeah, it is. It, it, it's a, it's a fun project, definitely. So, w- what I tend to do when we when we build some uh, new shiny toy, I, Monday night, you know, right before kickoff, I'll I'll start tweeting about it. But um, yeah, so this is similar to the the coverage recognition model uh, we talked about when I was on uh, at the beginning of the season, and this is actually easier to do. Uh, route recognition, you know, there's a there's a you know, fixed number of different types of routes, and you know, it's just a matter of kind of shape recognition. Um, so, which, real, let me stop you there for a second because that might be something that everyone wouldn't know. And we could ask you could ask the world, like, what number of what? Are, Brian just said there's a fixed number of routes. I mean, I guess there's a finite number of things you could do on a field, but it's even more restricted than that. There's only a certain number of routes that people draw up, and then what's that number, audience? What's that number? I think you, you guys came up with something like forty-one. Is that right? I did thirty. It, thirty it depends okay. on you know, how obscure you want to go into um, the the lesser kind of uncommon routes. Uh, so it's it's a balance of kind of what um, you know what would be useful for us at ESPN to talk about, and as well as some of the things using the tracking data. Uh, actually, there, there's some limitations, and and uh, um, unlike maybe the coverage recognition, the, I think humans would would do a Sort of measurably or up, let's say, detectably better job at okay. uh, at charting the routes. So, Brian, let me ask you a question to start with Bradlow. How did you determine, like, what I'll call the discreteness? For example, a ten yard curl route and an eleven yard curl route are technically different plays. Um, mm-hmm. So, how did you decide? You know, is left versus right different? Is ten yards versus eleven yards different? Where did you kind of draw the line, and how did you think about it? Uh, typically, there's. So uh, uh, Dominique Foxworth, who uh, is an analyst for ESPN and uh, also lives in the D.C. area, uh, conveniently for me, has been a great help. He's a former uh, he former player. in the NFL, and he was former president of the Players Association, if, if anyone's familiar. Anyway, he, um, 
he might be on TV right now, actually, uh, on GitHub. <laughs> He's on Wednesdays and Thursdays on GitHub. So he was a great help to me and with both the, the defensive coverage uh, stuff and the route recognition. And so he taught me these things, like, hey, how do you group these routes in terms of, you know, short, intermediate, deep? Uh, mm-hmm. And that's what he said, you know, five yards is short. You know, five to ten is intermediate. Beyond ten is deep. Um, it depend, But it also depends on, like, the – sort of the, let's say, the departure angle. So after their break, mm. are they breaking uh, laterally or is it more of a vertical break, like a post or corner route? So um, the, he, he was super helpful, and, and I based a lot of the kind of discreteness around his recommendations. And so so uh, just, just to clarify, it, it's it, – it's, I think it's worth clarifying that, like, you, this was kind of done, like, in a manual sort of, like, with subject domain, like, expert kind of way, as opposed to in sort right. of a more automated machine learning kind of way. Yeah, so I, the right word, you, I, I was thinking this is unsupervised, but the right, we didn't have training data. We didn't buy a, a data set from uh, one of these charting companies. Uh, and um, so we we would call it semi-supervised. So semi-supervised means you have like a very small number of actual labeled kind of training data and a very, very large set of unlabeled data. And uh, so what I did was, I mean, you, we, don't ha- we don't have, a, you know, 20,000 examples of, of labeled data, but, um, but anybody who knows football or anybody who's played Madden, let's say, knows, knows what a pop, uh, you know, corner route is or a post or an in or a slant. And... There's there's a, a something called the route tree if you're not familiar and it's it's very very standard I mean it comes from the days of Bill Walsh I believe and uh, pretty pretty much every team kind of adheres to the same set of route definitions even though they may have different names for them um, so uh, that's that's how we you know we approached it um, and and we had so I built like uh, what I called archetypes so there's this kind of uh, uh, platonic perfect, you know, post route. Uh, so I went through and just watched hundreds of plays and chose uh, certain routes, maybe about five of each type, and then averaged those um, simply just their X and Ys. And it, it basically built, so now I had a library of 30 mm-hmm. archetypical uh, representations of, of all 30 types of routes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, but by the way, this, this is a just quick quick departure real quickly. Do you think you could ever model this precisely enough and all the context as well precisely enough to start judging receivers on how well they run routes? Um, possibly. I think so down the road. I don't think I can do it very well yet. One of the easy easiest things I, uh, you can do, um, since you mentioned I was a Navy pilot, um, uh, if you're familiar with something called G-forces, uh, G-force. So if you if you're in a Navy jet and and you you turn very very hard, right? Uh, that's you're pulling G's, mm-hmm. and that means you are <clears throat> the force on your body and on the aircraft is a certain factor. Uh, you know, let's say seven G's. That means you're you're the forces on your body are seven times the force of gravity. So you can do the same thing with receivers. I watch receivers uh, like like jets basically. And so if they make a break, like a, just like a jet would break right, wow. uh, I can, we can measure their G's using oh the my. tracking data. Geez, no kidding. So presumably you do this for, for runner, running backs as well. So pe- this is yeah. why, you know, so these, some of these backs can change direction without really slowing down. Presumably that's an example of throwing more G's. Yeah, so um, 
the, the problem was that there are enough uh, sort of um, glitches I don't, in the data that, okay. like, if you start sorting, you know, from highest G to, you know, lowest G yeah. routes, you get some, some uh, funky examples. Yeah. So you have to kind of, you know, you have to weed those out. So, you know, down the road, I'll, I'll Down the road. No, do we, we're, we're, we're here for some down the road. I mean, you're, you're kind of yeah. laying the groundwork, and it'll get better over time. This is something that I think some outsiders and even some practitioners miss a little bit, and maybe we get it wrong as well, because we'll get excited about a framework you put out there, and I mean sometimes, Brian, I mean you. We'll get excited about a framework even if it's flawed because we know it's like the right direction. Like five years from now, people are going to be building on that, and it's going to be yeah. great. Yeah, no, flawed, <laughs> definitely. Um, you know what the best thing about like projects like this for me though is is I get to learn football. Like I, I played football in high school, but I'm not a former coach or former pro player, even college player. Like so, the, the thing I lack in terms of being a football analyst, being well rounded, like okay, I can I can I know the stats and I know the analytics, but I, I don't know the X and O's as well as uh, nearly as well as as someone has really studied the game, mm-hmm. and I get to learn that now, and mm-hmm. it makes me a much more well-rounded uh, analyst. Mm-hmm. And um, like you were saying that you're able to change directions without slowing down. So one of the things I learned was that in the NFL, uh, pl- the players don't actually make kind of cuts the way you think they do. Uh, like you have this idea in your head where a player will run like a straight line, turn 90 degrees, one way or the other, you know, running an out or an in. They never, ever, ever do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, in college, they, they will, and in high school, they will do that, um, those kinds of cuts where they kind of run to a point and then make a, make a very, very sharp cut. In the NFL, they can't do that because the defensive backs are so fast mm-hmm. that any, anything like that is, is they're going to get clobbered. They're going to be well covered. So what they do, these things called speed cuts, where they, they round out uh, all their cuts. But mm-hmm. rarely do you get like a very, very sharp kind of plant. Of this sounds like a, a baseball player running the bases. It's the first thing I learned at my baseball camp when I was eight years old is how to run the bases. You've got to make these turns around the corners because you can't make a sharp turn because right. it causes you to slow down too much. To make a 90-degree ru- turn causes you to stop but it's, too it's, many it's, Gs. It's counter, it's counter yeah. to what I think we think about these routes, maybe because we grew up playing it at the lower yeah, levels. Yeah, like you got, and counterintuitively, I, I always grew up thinking the sharper the route, yeah, the, the sharper, more likely the you are and, yeah, to lose you, your defensive you back. Momentum. But you, but, yeah, but only at the top levels. In yeah. fact, you hear receivers criticized for rounding off their routes, right? I mean, this is something that people, the, the true experts say. There's uh, an amazing amount of, so I watched probably, you know, a couple hours of like YouTube clinics of you, you know, like these camps and things, these coaches like teaching, you know, route techniques. And there's an amazing amount of technique involved. Do you think it's just about running speeds and, and making a turn, you know, may, maybe making one cut or something. But there's an amazing amount of kind of footwork and even head work. So another thing I learned was that, <clears throat> like, there's something called double moves, which means, like, hey, I'm going to f- uh, run, let's say, a, a deep route. I'm, I'm running vertically. I'm going to f- run a post, which is a cut to the inside, to the middle of the field, and but for a couple steps. But then I'm going to turn back outside. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that becomes a corner. Uh, so we would call that a you know post corner. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are several examples of, of double moves where you kind of fake one route for for a second, and then you're actually doing another route. Mm-hmm. And those can be very very effective, uh, but they take time to develop. Yep. So you have to have good protection. Well, one of the things I've learned is at the NFL level, they don't really 
do that. They don't actually, like the double move happens so fast. It's mostly kind of like a stutter step and a head fake. And that's one of the things mm. I was talking about, why human, like visual watchers will probably do a better job, especially with double moves, because it's, it's undetectable but, um, on, the, on the tracking, but visually you can kind of see like a stutter step and a head fake and then a break. Yep. And so um, that's what I love. I just, I love learning those things, even right. though it's kind of a, uh, you know, a wrench in my, um, in the gears of, of my model. It's, it's fascinating to me. Well, so Brian, r- remind us and remind the audience how, what your age is. My age? age? How old you are? And that's essentially what he's asking. <laughs> I am, I'm a prime number. I'll, I'll let you guys figure that out. I'm going to go 51. That's not prime. Um, what's it, 53? Oh, no, no, not a prime number. I'm sorry. We, we, a perfect square? I'm a square. I'm a perfect square. 49. Yeah. yeah 49. There you go. Okay, that makes my, it pretty easy if my, you're a square. My, my, point, my point is that you are learning brand new things that people might not think you'd still be learning and people might think you can only go into the saying and learn and expand if you're 27 and you're like completely pushing the frontiers of your knowledge at age 49 which is is fabulous we're talking to brian bark by the way brian is a football writer for espn he has really been jumping on this next generation stats thing espn buys the data has an arrangement with the nfl one of the only organizations that does outside of the nfl and brian's been on the front lines pushing things forward. I'm going to ask one question. Can you give us the bigger picture here on why why we care about route recognition? This seems really technical and kind of obscure for being such the focus of our conversation so far. So where are we going? Why do we care about this? Uh, good question. So um, for ESPN, what we want to do is we want to serve sports fans anywhere, anytime. That's our that's our mantra. And so we, uh, we want to make sports uh, Football fans feel entertained and informed, and this is part of the the informed. And so, let's say uh, Michael Thomas was on Monday Night Football uh, this this past week, and he um, uh, we lear- one of the first things we learned is uh, when we combined this with the coverage data that we have now, um, when it's man to man. He gets all his yards off of slant routes. When I say all, I mean well, disproportionate, large, disproportionate okay. amount. Okay. And when it's zone, he gets disproportionate amount of his yards on out routes. Mm-hmm. And so, during a game, we can uh, we can enable our analysts and our on-air talent to we can arm them with information like that to, mm-hmm. to better inform the the viewer. Mm-hmm. That's just one example. Mm-hmm. Um, we can we can uh, dive deeper. I mean, there's so much low hanging fruit now. Um, I, I really don't even know where to begin. So, so Brian, uh, our students. Uh, this is Adi Weiner, by the way. Um, our students were involved in the Data Bowl competition, where they essentially did some of the things that you're talking about here. They identified routes automatically. Um, yeah. Using various different machine learning techniques, and it was a, a pro, you know an ongoing project. But their point was to kind of say, if they had run this route in this situation, they would have expected more points than the one that they actually ran. And so essentially, they were trying to do a couple things, which is sort of expected points. Uh, above, um, you know, more what their points were above expected by figuring out a model that would tell you expected points and also to kind of figure out a better strategy to sort of, in other words, here's how you should be calling plays because these plays are are more effective than others. Is that what you're about here or is this more from the the, listener? Well, 
Um, that, yes, but that was my old when I when we were the dawn of the tracking data when there were, it was just being discussed tracking data for football. It's coming in a couple of years. That, that's you know sort of the the um, which play which plays are the killer plays. Like you say, hey, yep. this cover two. What's the killer play against cover two? What's the killer play against cover three? Mm. And um, that's kind of what I always wanted to do. That's a little sort of maybe teams and, and other, you know, analysis shops like uh, Pro Football Focus or Telemetry, places like that. And, and me, I'm very interested in that as well. I'll dig into that. Um, but for, for the ESPN thing, it, it's more of a, a matter of kind of informing fans um, one of the things I want to mention, though, is that like routes don't exist in isolation. There, there's always route combinations or a concept. Um, there, there's so uh, there like you know a, a let's say a, a you know curl flat combination is very very different thing than than let's say a you know a flat route. In isolation, you're talking about um, what guys on kind of the same side of the field are running next to each other, or what two guys yeah. on one side, three guys on one side, and the guy on the other side of the field. What collection or, or of patterns or yeah. crossing routes? Exactly. So, yeah, what like collection of concept? Yep. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's so you, you have to. I think you have to. We have to go to that level in order to accomplish like, like that optimization, right. you know, killer, you know, play type thing. I want to give a lot of credit to your students. Uh, who I drove up to meet and talk with. Uh, so I, I um, stopped at, uh, um, in Philadelphia and, and talked with uh, your students who participated in the Big Data Bowl, and uh, they, they helped point me in the right direction on this project. So, Neat. You know, they, they, um, yeah, brilliant guys. Well, it's a lot of when Michael Lopez and the NFL get credit for that big bowl competition and bringing in, you know, the reason you do these competitions is because, you know, you throw a cast, a cast a wide enough net, people are going to come up with things you wouldn't come up with on your own. And here we have a group of students who jump in at the, like this time last year, well into the competition, yep. they jumped in and came up with something. It's, it's great to hear that you thought that was valuable. Let's take this uh, this interaction thing a little bit farther. and This holistic, we tend to, as analysts, get a little bit focused on the one thing that we can observe precisely and over-infer you know, something from that one thing, like a route that somebody runs. And now you're saying, hey, we got to consider the coverage, which we've already kind of, you've already kind of cracked. But actually, we need to consider the route combinations and the coverage. Now we're getting pretty complicated. Where are we on understanding those kinds of things? I want to give you a, a, I want to give you a specific point of departure. And I want the whole team's input on this one i'm really curious have you seen that that pff has come up with a war like pff war for football which they they've just come out with and they said that in their analysis russell wilson's the most valuable player by their by their war measure which is i mean we love those guys and and they're also an example of they've got a structure that's you know a little flawed right now but it's less flawed than it used to be and it's gonna be even less flawed in the future and they're doing great things so great let's go see if we can get war for football because that's been it's one of the great. It's one of the wonderful things about following baseball and analyzing baseball. We haven't had it in football. But let me give you an observation. They say based on this year, Russell Wilson's WAR is three point one. Next best is Dak Prescott at two point two. Where is Lamar Jackson? He's at one point six at one point seven. And I want to do what I always hate other people doing when I put analytics out there and say, does that face? Does that pass the eye test? Does 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 Lamar Jackson at about half of WAR, half of Russell Wilson's WAR? Pass the eye test. Didn't uh, the Ravens have twelve Pro Bowl selections? That's correct. So, so how do you how do you account for all of that? But the the, the specific proposition I'm going to suggest is that he. We, I was just having this conversation with a buddy and colleague over dinner last night. 
the, my claim would be Lamar Jackson's unique ability to both be one of the best running backs in the league and one of the best passers in the league stresses the defense in a way that opens up everything else. The reason they're able, Mark Ingram's able to run for, he's a great running back, but he does so much better because Lamar Jackson's stressing the defense. But you mm-hmm. only capture that by understanding all of these interactions. And my claim is there are very few running other quarterbacks in the world that you could drop down that would stress the defense in the same way. And therefore, the Ravens just wouldn't do what they do without Lamar Jackson. If that's the case, his war can't be half of Russell Wilson's. But all of that rests on some holistic evaluation that we're not well equipped to do. You have to capture all of these interactions. It's the threat that that Lamar Jackson poses to run around the left side for 64 yards or throw either a shallow something or a deep something on the right side. My Yes. No, that was my – I read that article um, by PFF about war, and I applaud what they're doing. And I tried to sell – what's the name of the founder? I was on the phone with him before I joined ESPN. I was Neil, Neil Hornsby. Yes. I was trying to sell him on that concept. I was like, you give me your, your grading, your individual play, player level grades, I will give you an, an NFL wins above replacement. And he, he had just sold the company to Collinsworth, mm-hmm. Chris Collinsworth, and he was in the car. They were driving uh, on a, like a sales trip to go pitch their offerings to a team. And he was in the car with Collinsworth. Collinsworth was driving, and I was, <laughs> I was making my pitch to them. And they're <laughs> yeah. like, nah. And they're, he wrote me back uh, on email a little while later. They're like, nah, we don't, we don't like that idea. No. Um, but, well, they went, well so, let's, say, let's be real clear. They went out and got Eric Eager, who's great. And I'm sure Eric's behind this thing. But it's just, yeah, it's, not, sure. it's not a criticism of Eric. It's just that we don't have the tools right now to evaluate the contribution of all 22 players simultaneously, especially when you have unique players like Lamar Jackson. Well, it's the claim. It, it, is, yeah. it is a criticism in the sense that you would argue that creating something like war is a little premature. Well, no, I, I think you have to. Or they're creating a framework that yeah. we will improve upon by including more and more interactions. I mean, you yeah. have to start somewhere. You have to start somewhere. And you can't, I, yeah. if, if you waited until it was perfect, it would probably never come out. I mean, Brian. Or somebody else would create an imperfect one that we'd build on. That's right. Brian Burke, who we're talking to on the phone, presented at the pre-conference, MIT's pre-conference last year. And he puts out this thing about evaluating, I forget even now what it was, Brian. But you're like, this is all wrong. I'm not saying it's right. I'm saying this is the first step in a direction that's important to go. Yeah. Remember those maps, like from. You know, before they had you know longitude. You know these these uh, <laughs> longitude, right? Where, you know, like you know, uh, you know, whatever. You know, uh, dragons be here. Yeah. And, oh, you know, like, <laughs> you know, and maps are just like goofy, and they're just wrong. And you know, Baja California is like its own continent. <laughs> yeah, like that's really what we're doing. I think. I think that's you really know, really well. That's a great analogy. Yeah, but those maps were not so. They were actually they were so wrong that they were. They were they were bad, <laughs> but they, but you never would have got the next map. The, the, sec, the next generation of map was. Would better. you rather use the, that or no map? <laughs> well, you know, one of the things that I always argue with my when I explain to, you know, sampling to my students is people love to generate samples that are terribly biased. And my argument is that a, a biased sample is is worse than no sample. And that's essentially. I mean, I'm not saying this so is this, equivalent. Okay, but, no, I'm I'm going to say this is noisy. Noise were, is okay. It, yeah, that's it, unbiased. It's yeah, variance. That's right. So bias. If we know if we know something systematically biased, then we should correct it. But at the point at this moment, we just know that it's noisy. I think is would be the claim. And right. and noise and noisy, we're happy to deal with because it's 
and 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 also, I mean, like again, this the context for this discussion. I'm sure there's plenty wrong with the, this war incarnate, this first iteration of war, anyway. But we're discussing in the context of one of the most idiosyncratic players I think we've seen in the last decade. <laughs> no, no, as yeah, well. right. And, so and, oh, it doesn't account for Lamar Jackson. <laughs> I mean, who can? I'm so unfair. I entirely right, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I don't want to hijack the sport, but in in baseball, they invented the war, and they and they have basically commonality on the system and I think it's it's fundamentally broken in the way they handle position adjustments yet no one's talking about it or changing it and they're they're getting fixated on it every year slightly more and I, I think it's it's wrong-headed okay so it, 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 it's one of the things I think you're saying is that once a flawed metric becomes institutionalized it can be do more harm than good and so I think that the caution there is let's not institutionalize anything too oh, quickly and also kind of an uh, Analogous to that is is once you can measure something with numbers like oh his war is three point one two five five people start attaching a, a, a precision to it that is not well, necessarily correct. That's so right. so Brian, this is Eric Bradley. Let me build on Shane's question. Um, while everybody might want to know who's the top quarterback, who's the second one, who's the third. What level of granularity would you feel comfortable with today? Is it would you feel comfortable saying there's five tiers and here's and who's in each tier? There's four tiers, two tiers. How would how comfortable do you feel with the kind of the binning that ha- that should happen today based on what we know? Hmm. I, well, yeah, the danger with tiers. I mean, that's a good approach, uh, but there's there's pluses and minuses. You know, there's drawback to everything. So that sort of discreteness. There's there's a fuzziness. You know, on the on the bubble uh you know the the bottom guy on the first tier and yep. the top guy in the second tier uh so it's always a little bit arbitrary um i don't know you know i, I don't know how to answer that to be honest i, I think to address the, the prior question the way i think of a model any model let's say like a war model or, or any you know a linear regression is basically a set of assumptions just a, a collection of assumptions that is you know tuned to to fit a data and so let's say for regression, you know, the assumption is you know, normality and linear additivity. Um, and so any, no matter how complex the model, there's a set of assumptions uh, that define it. And the, the uh, like, war model uh, for baseball or any other sport, one of the assumptions is linear additivity, right? And that's what Cade was talking about. Well, this, this can't really work because there's so many interactions. Um, and so what I advocate is uh, no matter what method you use, um, make your assumptions explicit. State your assumptions mm-hmm. out loud. Mm-hmm. And that way, so like in operations research, the way we kind of approach problems is, okay, let's make this a really, really easy problem by making a set of assumptions like, yeah, linear additivity and normality. And, and, let's, uh, and then let's go one by one and relax that assumption. That's what academics say for people who aren't academics. <laughs> relax the, each assumption. And it makes the problem a little bit harder and a little bit harder each right. time. Right. But you're getting closer and closer to ground truth. Uh, so that's, that's all I would say is like models like that. I totally agree. It's, it's a step forward. Um, but make your assumptions explicit, and then uh, we, we, that way we won't kind of crash on the rocks um, right. like the, the ancient mariners did with this old <laughs> Listen, Brian, thank you, as always, for making the time to be with us. We love the work you're doing. We love following it. We wish you the best as you go ahead and continue pushing forward the frontier of football analytics. Brian Burke. Thanks, guys. Absolutely. You can follow Brian's work. He writes for ESPN. He's one of the folks there at the analytics group who does such good things and really advancing the conversation and 
in the NFL and college football. That has been three quarters of Wharton Moneyball. We still have a quarter to go. Come back and join us after the break. <laughs> 